This episode is brought to you in partnership with Wacom. Across the globe, learning is still handwriting-centric, especially in mathematics and science. This can make the shift to digital tasks challenging. Many schools are seeking effective apps and hardware to ensure a smoother transition for digital learning, especially for STEM lessons. Expanding digital pen and ink technology from teachers to students opens up new possibilities for communication and collaboration in and out of the classroom. Using pen-enabled devices, teachers and students can explain complex concepts, take notes, provide feedback, and show their work quickly and easily. Wacom pen displays and tablets easily plug in to the existing IT equipment in the classroom, enabling members of the class to interact with the digital content being shared. The teacher never even needs to turn their back on the class. Collaboration is simple when working on shared documents and apps with the digital pen. There's no new software to learn. You just work with the pen on the screen or tablet instead of the mouse and keyboard on your computer. As educators, myself, Steve and Ben have all integrated the use of Wacom technology into where we've worked in education, into colleges and schools, and we have seen the benefits for ourselves. So go check it out for yourself. Uh, The link is in the show notes for this episode. Hello and welcome to the Edufuturist podcast. Thank you for joining us. This is episode 192. If you are watching on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, make sure you subscribe and you will get alerted to the the next episode, every episode after that. Um, 191 back episodes as well. So if if you're joining us for the first time, um, you've got um, weeks and weeks worth of content there to go back and, and listen to or watch. Um, around the trends of of the future of education, where education is going, uh, and and innovation in general in in our world, and and that kind of leads us nicely onto our guest today, who we're going to bring in in just a couple of minutes, Bill Halal. Um, but before we do that, uh, Steve Ben, good to be here um, for another week uh, and catch up with you guys. Has a has it been a good one? Have you had a good few days? Yeah, I certainly have. Um, I've been uh, pulled into lots of different pieces of work so a bit of content writing a bit of supporting colleges with their digital work and some other stuff as well um yeah exciting exciting work around some on-demand learning courses as well which obviously fits in with what we're talking about but best news ever today um just as a just as a as a big blink 182 fan um i was uh very very excited to get tickets for their new tour coming back up so even though that's not about the podcast that's been that's made it an even better week Nice. That's a yeah. favorite part of my week, to be fair. Looking forward to it. Yeah, work, work's been good. Uh, it's nice to be at home and at the desk for uh, the week after a bit of travelling. But uh, but yeah, Blink One Eight Two is is definitely on the uh, on the top of the list this week. Doesn't really sound good in terms of the impact I'm having at work, does it? But uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, Blink One Eight Two. Yeah, it's going to be a edgy futurist uh, convention out there. I think maybe be good. See yeah, if any other. To Belfast and in, in Northern yeah. Ireland should be good. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been yeah, it's it's a good one. I'm, I'm really loving. I know I keep saying this on the podcast at the minute, but I'm really loving just delving more and more into the world of virtual reality. And yeah. if, if anyone else is into that, Meta had their big um, big conference a couple of days ago uh, where they announced a lot of updates and and kind of the the di- their direction of travel over the next few decades in terms of the the type of virtual reality world they want to create really 
Um, so very interesting. And um, yeah, I know me, me and Ben jumped into a, a meta work oh, yeah, the other day. Yeah, we did, yeah, we did. Playing around with, with around that. Um, yeah, it's, it, they've spent a lot, a lot of money, billions of pounds on on these platforms. You, well, you think you think they'd make sure that it works, wouldn't you? Did, you'd think so. You'd think, so. <laughs> you'd, you'd think that they'd make sure that it... And did it, did it, did it not work? No, it absolutely did work. It did work, right. and it was it was a decent experience. But I think they've got to make sure that it goes somewhere, I think. Um, yeah. Oh, Dan, by the way, after our conversation a couple of weeks ago, I bought that three-box model book, nice. uh, three-box solutions book by VJ uh, Govinda Rajan. So I'm looking forward to digging into that. We've obviously done some conversations around... Uh, box one and box three and box two and all that conversation so yeah i'm excited i'm also excited about today's guest so yeah definitely he's a good guy the uh, uh vj he's, yeah, he's he is. one of my lecturers on, on my oh, innovation really? course at the moment he is yeah oh, he didn't tell me that uh, you just said that his book's really good so, yeah dan gets yeah. commission that's why he keeps telling us all to buy it so <laughs> put the, drop the amazon link into the into the show notes <laughs> yeah it, no it's good uh, and and yeah and, and speaking of professors uh among his many accolades uh our guest today uh, is a, a professor, a performer professor of technology and innovation, um, also a, a former aerospace engineer on Apollo, um, an Air that Force officer, yeah, a Silicon Valley manager, and also the founder of TechCast. So let's bring all the way from Washington, D.C., um, Bill Halal. Bill, good at, is, it, is it afternoon over there? It's afternoon, yes. Yeah, good <laughs> afternoon, yeah. It's, it's evening here, so it's... Uh, yeah, nice, nice way to end the day with you. Uh, and you, you, you were just saying before you came on, you're watching the the January sixth. Yes, it's hearings. a big deal in the states. It's a, it's a, it's amazing. This has gone on for two years now. But I, you know, one of the things that we're forecasting on my uh, my TechCast project is peak Trump. We we think it's it's concluding finally. Uh, I think the uh, our Department of Justice is going to indict uh, his associates, more of his top-level associates in the next year or two, and eventually Trump, I think. And I hope that'll put an end to this, this delusional madness that's taken over America for se seven years, six yeah. years. And I, I hope it, it serves as a, uh, a message to the rest of the autocrats around the world that... Uh, that they they are in a precarious position that they really um, have no legitimacy. Yeah, it's interesting because we autocracy is is a, a major problem today. Yeah, yeah I, we, we, I, we, we I, live in that as well, don't we? It yeah, seems like, I, yeah. I read I read a book, uh, Kleptopia, uh, quite recently, and talks about all. I'm not going to go into it and spoil the podcast, but uh, yeah, mentions a lot about the uh, the associates of of, of the. Uh, previous president and all of that that goes with it and uh, yeah it's eye-opening for every country um, and how that looks and how that sits so uh, but yeah I think we could probably do about another 192 podcasts just on, uh, on yeah. those topics I think shouldn't we it's, uh, it's amazing it's what's happening it's just astonishing yeah do you think you'll get prison time Bill? I don't think so I, I, I think they'll probably find some way to uh, to make it uh uh, more palatable to his uh, enormous following. That's what's, that's really the, the, the source of amazement here. I mean, this man has more than 70 million followers and that's where his power comes from. Uh, so the, 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 I, I think the, uh, the American justice system is aware of the dangers of antagonizing them. So I, I, I think they're going to try and, uh, well, I think by, 
uh, indicting his uh, associates first, that will uh, set the stage, so to speak. It'll bring out more information about the extent of the uh, the uh, uh, the treason, really, uh, and it'll 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 make clear how how dangerous the whole situation was. And then I think they'll probably indict Trump, uh, but I think they'll uh, uh, I don't think there'll be any prison time. But I, I, I think he'd probably be found. I think hope he'd be found guilty. There'll be a trial, I suppose. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But in the next year or two, yeah, it'll happen before the 2024 elections. It's, it's interesting as well that it's, it's, it's totally unprecedented. Oh, it seems unprecedented, doesn't it? Like it's whole level. It's, it's, a, it's a danger for uh, every country in the world. And so many countries have followed his lead. I mean, uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil is almost like a, a Trump clone. Uh, and uh, others, you know, are, are doing the same thing. They talk about fake news and all, the same thing. It's, it's amazing. We had Boris Johnson here who was, who was nicknamed yeah. the, oh, exactly. the mini, mini Trump by Trump himself. Right. I think it's a reaction to uh, the enormous change the world is, is struggling with. Uh, it frightens people. And so they, they fall back on strong men to uh, give them some assurance that, that uh, other people are responsible or something. It's very complicated. I, I think we should be listening to these people. That that's the best thing we could do is listen to their followers. Really listen to them to find out what motivates them and show them that this is not the way to do it. Yeah, I heard uh, somebody say a few few weeks ago, it might, it's, it's likely to have been in a podcast somewhere, about this idea about hard times create strong men, strong yes. men create good times, and then good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. And I think that's that cycle that we're in, isn't it? It's, it's, it's that we've got a, yeah, a, a, a job to politically and economically and socially racially all that kind of stuff we've got a massive yeah we're in that place and it's, it's interesting actually where where dan started off in terms of our conversation just off air like we're, we're super passionate about the future of education but the future of education is is not a silo in itself is it it's, it's in the context of a society in a world yeah, exactly. that is, that is dra- drastically changing isn't it exactly good point ben yeah and, I, and I'm, I, I'm i'm really excited obviously to uh to get into yeah, hearing about you um, and uh, a bit. Tell 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 our listeners who, who may not have heard about your stuff um, where a little bit of your journey, if that's all, if that's all right. Well, uh, I, I'm uh, an American immigrant. I was born in Lebanon. That's where I got my last name. Um, and I, I did the normal stuff. I uh, uh, studied aerospace engineering at Purdue served in the Air Force. I was a major. I was stationed in, in Europe. I flew, I was, we, we flew to England constantly. We had lots of uh, uh, trips to England. We flew all over Europe and I, I grew to love the, the continent. And then I worked uh, on the Apollo program, which was very exciting. Uh, I remember when uh, discussions about uh, what would the, the surface of the moon be like when you landed on it because you had to know we had to design landing gear and we didn't know whether it'd be dust or hard rock or whether they'd sink into it or so that was fascinating but but it's a big bureaucracy aerospace is a big bureaucracy so I left that and went to graduate school at Berkeley and that was an eye-opener I love Berkeley 
I mean, I really learned there just sitting out on the on the malls, uh, talking to other students and watching the the events play out. That was during the infamous 60s. You, you guys are too young to remember that, but the 60s were a big deal. That was really something uh, to celebrate it at Berkeley. That was glorious. Uh, I learned a lot there. And then I've been working in academia for now for 50 years. Uh, and, uh, I, I, you know, when I was at Berkeley, what I, I saw right immediately that the computer was just entering mainstream use and was going to change the world. It was so obvious to me. And I was impressed by Daniel Bell's book, um, The Coming of Post-Industrial Society. And I thought, post-industrial, fascinating. What's beyond industrial? And that, that clinched it. I was hooked. And I've been studying the technology revolution ever since. That's really what I've been doing. It's the best way to understand my perspective. Yeah, and, and I guess that just to take a buck to, to working on Apollo, being being part of a group that 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 had that ambition and had that ability to to dream and make yeah. make a dream possible must, must have set you up for life. Yeah, isn't that amazing that 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 Kennedy had that that vision and it was it was plausible it was realistic and they did it it's astonishing yeah it, it, it is it still it still fascinates yeah like it, a, just just that 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 ball of rock in yeah, the sky they I landed know. something unbelievable it's a, just still hard to grasp absolutely I, I I love I love that that story of a, of a journey and obviously the journey of um of 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 coming to America and then obviously the work that went on with that and then obviously the academia stuff because of a fascination uh, seeing that computer I love that 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 idea that you you saw a computer you read that book and then thought to yourself this is what I want to give my life to um, I love I love it so, I mean it's, it's the most exciting thing going on I mean watching this technology revolution unfold and change the world you know day by day it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it very much is. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's interesting how your excitement is similar when you talk about Apollo as it is to the technology revolution and everything else. So uh, I know which one uh, I work in EdTech, uh, and I don't. I, it's sad that it, I maybe should be a bit more excited about it. But in terms of the the the, the jump and Berkeley and 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 the start there. What kind of thing when you talked about learning? What was the principle, and, and why did why was that so fundamental in regards to what you're now aspiring to be and moving on for for the last fifty years? What did it? What stimulated? What point was it at Berkeley where you thought this is something I want to I want to carry on and push push on? Well, I was just so fascinated by the idea of the computer uh, uh, transforming society. I could just see what's going to do it. It was just so obvious to me, uh, and that it has. It. I mean. You know, I remember uh, when I was a young professor in the 1970s and the first personal computers were coming out and I would tell people, I think we're going to see personal computers. And the response I would typically get is, why would anybody want a personal computer? That was when they filled rooms, you know, and it shows how hard it is to anticipate big change because here we are now, you know, we're living it now. It, it, it was hard to anticipate this uh, 40 years ago. 
And that's what we're experiencing right now with the next big change, which is, I think it's an age of consciousness. We are in it now. That's why we see all of this crazy talk. That's consciousness. It's just crazy consciousness. Um, I, I could tell you more about uh, why I believe that, but that is the big news in my mind. We have, uh, the knowledge age has passed. People, knowledge age does not, knowledge does not um, convince arguments. Uh, arguments are based upon emotions, values, and beliefs now. Subjective consciousness, higher consciousness. That, that's where we are today. That's interesting. And that, that very much links back to what you said about Trump before and yeah. almost that kind of fake news exactly. agenda. That's why they're able to do that, because now people are beyond knowledge. They're living beyond knowledge. We're living in an age where values and beliefs and emotions dominate. And Trump is a master shaping that he's a genius at it yeah it's it's interesting because i think it, we're, we're getting into a territory where i think we we explore this quite a bit and and it, it's how's how is technology going to help us especially in terms of education and and i think uh it, we get to like the that crossroads where a, a lot of educators feel threatened by technology because they think well technology is going to replace right. educators but actually we we come at it from the angle of well, no, actually, what technology will handle um, in terms of the automation, yeah. in terms of AI, and and dealing with like that knowledge base, will actually it'll allow teachers to be more human. And I guess like what you said there, focus more on the like you, what you're saying there, what is consciousness, the the emotional side of things, the soft skill side of things. Wow. Um, and I think yeah, I think that's it's interesting how that how that those ideas have converged there. Do you? Is, is that how you see it? Do you think? Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, yeah. The, the uh, automation uh, takes care of the grunt work, the busy work. So in every, in every field and in education, it means that uh, faculty no longer have to teach material. They are there to serve, serve the, the more complex needs of students. They're, their confusion about the world and who they should be and, and what to make of, of what's going on and where they should you know all of that stuff, the, the messy stuff. That's that's where faculty should move. Move, I think that's right. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting that idea of we've had a few people on the podcast over the last few weeks. Last week, we we're having a conversation around like empathy and about how important that is and courage and character stuff in education. We've had we've had a few people talking around. We don't. None of us like the phrase soft skills because it's not, they're not soft, and put the, the wrap around non-hard skills of yeah. science, the stuff beyond that. And actually, it's, it's interesting, having read some of the excerpts of your book, the conversation around this idea that knowledge doesn't explain, or like reason doesn't explain how people are altruistic or how, why people would, exactly. would do these things, because it's not, it doesn't always rationally make sense, but people do these things, don't they? And 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 actually, from a teaching and learning perspective, and from a from a education as a system perspective, we're talking about things beyond just um, beyond knowledge. Beyond knowledge, and that's the phrase you're using, is it? It's beyond that, just hot, the core curriculum to be at, to to the things that are beyond it. Yeah. Good point, Ben. That's why the whole field of behavioral economics has grown up. They're showing that that people do not act really rationally. They don't act on the uh, on the basis of judgment and knowledge they, they have all these uh, ulterior motives you know things going on in our heads 
yeah, it's a whole field of study that confirms all of this. And, and and then and then from that, there's this there's this sense that it, 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 what's exciting, what's exciting to hear is somebody who's been um, heavily involved in technology and studying technology and understanding its place in society. We're saying this is a tool to help us to become to go beyond just the tools of knowledge yeah. beyond just the tools of uh, the technology and for technology is not the end in itself is it it's just a it's the vehicle yeah that, that's right that's right uh, and it's happening right now at, uh, um, I think our, our studies uh, at techcast uh, suggest that the the best forecast I have, is that um, we're going to see a global consciousness, a different mentality. Uh, every, every stage of, of social development uh, requires a revolution in thought. Uh, the, inf- the industrial age, for instance, was ushered in by the Protestant ethic. You know, you know that, of course. You know, that, that was the... Max the Weber, Max Weber. Yeah, uh, and so we're, we're uh, so every stage is ushered in by a new a revolution in thought, and the revolution in thought is uh, coming now. I think, I think it will be a global consciousness, because the world is in fact uh, a unified system, whether you like it or not. The uh, the economic systems are all unified with supply change, uh, supply chains. The electronic systems are all unified with the internet. The ecological systems are all united. It's a one integrated ecological system. And we lack a, a way to see the world as a whole. That's, that's the big thing that's needed. And uh, uh, it's going to be a, a radical change from the, the present consciousness is, I would simplify as saying uh, it's self-interest that's really the, the, the primary motive, self-interest, uh, power, and money. Those, those factors, I think, are what uh, seem to, to be the prevailing sentiments. And you can't get people to think outside of that very carefully. We need a, a logic that still recognizes the necessity of self-interest, of course. That'll never go away. But that complements it with complementarity with, with uh, cooperation, seeing the world as a unified whole uh, uh, and seeing the, 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 the earth as, as sacred, the ecological systems that make up the planet, seeing that as sacred, that we, ha- uh, we can still use the environment, of course, but we have to do it with, res- with respect, make sure it's still sustainable. That logic uh, has to enter the mainstream. I don't see it there yet, but I think it's coming. We estimate uh, about 2030 as the point at which it's most likely to appear in the mainstream. Uh, uh, and, but that's a low probability. Uh, there's enormous divided opinion, and I wrestle with that constantly. What do I tell people who don't want to believe this? They, uh, most people have seen so much, so much terrible stuff in the last... 10 or 20 years, they can't believe anything good will happen. And so there's this enormous uh, 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 cynicism out there. And we, uh, that, that's, our next, that's the next issue I'm going to study on TechCast. We're going to study the, the cynicism and how we, we uh, combat that. 
I, I think uh, I think it's going to happen in, in our lifetimes in the next 20, 30. I think that's a good forecast, plus or minus maybe, I don't know, maybe five years, something like that. And any good news is is completely swarmed and washed over by all of the the madness that is happening in the world. Like, you know, in a couple of weeks ago, it might have been a couple of months ago, the the, the founders and the owners of Patagonia and the and the work that they did around yeah. setting up a trust. I can't remember the statement, but going beyond profit and thinking, right, as a company, we're going to be for profit, but that all of that profit is going to go into sustainability, yeah. green agenda, and everything else that goes with it. But as much as that, you'd imagine that news, maybe five, ten years ago, what that would have been massive as a story. But actually, in the current climate, the current world, actually, it's not. I was speaking to somebody like even in our field, somebody's like, I didn't know that. And it's amazing that actually that's not more prominent as a story based on what they did, what they've done and what they will continue to do. It's um, And we were even saying before the podcast, just the three of us, just saying that actually the, the UK, and it is globally, the UK is in such a, such a mess that actually any good news story is just washed over really quickly and diluted because all of the other just... Yeah, the crazy stuff. The, yeah. the Elon Musk's of the world and those mad people. Oh, it's it, it's a it's it's a very strange situation. Um, we're we're at an age of consciousness. I know that, and it's ironic that people usually associate consciousness with enlightenment. Well, you know, we're learning now that consciousness is a lot bigger than that. It's everything. It's everything. And there's good consciousness, there's bad consciousness, just as there's bad information and good information. So we're we're in a very strange consciousness. Uh, and that's the challenge. We have to change the way people think. So that, that, that you guys are doing a good job of it with your with your shows. That that's what's needed. Thank you. That's that's very kind. We, me and Dan are both uh, former uh, religious studies teachers in the UK. So we talk about the consciousness stuff. Um, was kind of teaching like A level in 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 the in um, in in the UK. Seventeen, eighteen year olds. Obviously, being able to talk about this idea around how how people feel and how people are conscious and awareness and what that looks like and. Uh, and obviously a lot of people then tie that into you, you obviously you said about um enlightenment a lot of people talk about that from a spirituality perspective and it's it's interesting actually a couple of things that you've used there in terms of your conversation about the the earth being sacred and the ecology being sacred and about the the importance of that uh, and and I'm super interested in that it it, it might just be me being um the kind of person I am or my own personal interest so please um Please forgive me, lads, if I'm uh, if I'm going that way. But but yeah, I'm in, I'm interested to hear how you because obviously you're talking about consciousness, which obviously, like you said, has got permutations or has got preconceived ideas in a lot of people's ideas in, in a lot of people's minds, hasn't it? So what 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 do you what do you mean by that that uh, from from a from a sacred or a sanctity uh, aspect? Well, uh, uh, in the book uh, Beyond Knowledge, there's a uh, a chart that explains this very nicely. That is what I consider to consist of consciousness. And it shows uh, a dichotomy between objective forms of consciousness and subjective forms of consciousness. And that's well uh, uh, understood in the scientific world ever since Descartes, really. Uh, so that, that's pretty well accepted, objective versus subjective. 
And what's happening is the objective knowledge is the stuff that the digital revolution is automating. That's what computers are good at. Uh, uh, gathering information, making decisions, knowledge, all of that. that. And so the digital revolution is automating all of that stuff. And that's being eliminated. And that's what uh, technical people worry about. After we automate the knowledge work that everybody is doing today, what do they do? Well, the answer is we, there's a world beyond knowledge, consciousness. And so the digital revolution is driving attention beyond knowledge into the subjective realm. And that's why we see all this crazy stuff emerging. Values, emotions, we start with emotions. That's the most powerful form of subjective consciousness. People feel anger, fear, all this crazy stuff. And then it's values and beliefs, all of that. That is subjective consciousness. I like to be specific about this because people talk about consciousness in very vague terms that you don't even understand what they're talking about. You know, when you talk about awareness, and you know, what does awareness mean? I like to be specific. Cognitive functions, you know, knowledge, decision-making, emotions, values, beliefs. And we're moving from the objective stuff now to the subjective stuff. So we're there now. We're into the beginnings of the subjective stuff and it's going to get worse uh and so and and that that means a new stage of development it i think it's the last stage of development in what what is the the life cycle of evolution there's a wonderful graph in my book i hope you noticed it it's it's i'm very proud of it it's very well done it shows the entire life cycle of evolution and it's got good data and you you can see it's very precise uh, we may have been through agriculture, uh, industry, services, knowledge, and then consciousness. By definition, everything beyond knowledge is consciousness. And so we're in the last stage now, the last stage in the life cycle. Every life cycle comes to a maturity. You know, nothing grows forever. It's very much like the, the crisis of maturity of a child. When, uh, if you've raised children, you know that when they're teens, they, 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 have a real serious problem adapting to the, the world. They don't know how to deal as, with adults. And so they can get into serious trouble. They, you know, drugs and crime and all that kind of crap until the pain gets so severe that they finally relent. They finally grow up, accept their responsibilities and become adults. That's about where the world is. We have all of this power, but we don't know what to do with it. We're like teenagers. And uh, this, all of this consciousness is growing. It's the last stage of development. And I think the last stage means maturity. It means accepting responsibility for these, all these, these terrible threats, climate change, pandemics, inequality. The inequality is just uh, intolerable. I don't see how it can continue. I mean, people in our country, uh, I don't know about England, but the... Uh, the minimum wage workers, I don't know how they survive. Uh, you know, they, they, they struggle to survive on that at the same time that we have hundreds of billionaires. Uh, yeah, it just makes no sense. It's just the craziest thing in the world. So all of these terrible problems that uh, are there to be solved and we're developing consciousness to solve them. That's what this is about. This is the last stage of, of social evolution. It's, it means maturity. We're on the cusp of maturity. 
it's hard to get people to understand this, but I'm pretty, pretty sure this is it. This I feel as confident about this as I did in the 70s when I saw the beginnings of the the uh, the knowledge revolution that uh, occurred. I could see that was coming at the year 2000. And I've got publications that show my forecasts. The year 2000, that's exactly when it happened. At the year 2000, uh, all of a sudden, everybody was doing knowledge work. Corporations called themselves knowledge organizations. Uh, we Everybody had uh, a PC or a laptop or something. And the same thing is happening now, only now to a new stage of, of evolution, consciousness. And it's, it's complicated. It's hard to understand, but we've got to figure this out if we want to survive as a civilization. Yeah. It, when you talk now, you reminded me there's a, there's a, a theologian, I guess he is, in a, um, from Albuquerque called Richard Raw. Um, and he, he, he's kind of specialized. Oh, or he's a priest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. he's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. I used to be a big fan of his. Um, uh, yeah, got to know him a little bit as well. He's a great in guy. The Catholic world. He's a big deal. Yeah. Well, well not not necessarily in the in the institutional Catholic Church. I think he causes quite a bit I of disruption. That, but I know my friends all uh, my Catholic friends all uh, dote on Richard Rohr, yeah. and he is good. He is wonderful. Yeah, it's interesting because he he writes a lot about about uh, like the the theological uh, roots of rites of passage and yeah and, and about mature and, and kind yeah. of what you're saying yeah. about maturity and yeah. when you were talking there I was I was reminded I think he uses the analogy of he talks about two halves of life and he says the first half of life is all about building your tower and the second half of life is all about knocking it down. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, but it just it made me think that. When I think of when I apply that to the world, the building the tower, it's like the the imagery I get in my head is is the is capitalism. Is it's it's building, it's it's profit first. It's and I think if we're to go, I, I find it really difficult, and and I, I try not to be too pessimistic, but I find it really difficult to see beyond that because I suppose it's because of the how politics has been the last few, well, probably forever. I I, I imagine um, in that kind of. Uh, I think it's the, that same duality is is present in American politics, where you have kind of like a, a a left party who who veers towards a bit more socialist values, redistribution, looking after other people, and you can probably tell by what I'm saying here, I'm, I'm more on that left side myself. But then that that the kind of more conservative right wing, where it's about profit first, it's about putting the growth of the economy first and 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 helping those who've got wealth already and as i just say that that duality um is is so strong it's so deeply ingrained at the moment and it's 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 pushed by the media organizations it's pushed by there's a lot of propaganda even even to a certain extent mind conditioning by the media um and i I think to get to that maturity, to start bringing down the tower, is that, a, and you're saying by 2030, that's a massive journey to go on in the next eight years. Well, you know, uh, Dan, uh, I have good news for you. I think it's there's a good chance that the corporations will lead us out of this mess because the they are changing the, the, the goals of business dramatically. Uh, you're aware of the business roundtable announcement two years ago. I think 
that uh, ended the belief in stakeholder primacy. That is, oh, I'm sorry, shareholder primacy. That is the belief that profits are the only legitimate goal of business. Uh, that was revolutionary. And it's being played out right now. Uh, 90% of American corporations uh, practice ESG, environment, social, and governance. That is revolutionary. And they're not doing it out of altruism. They're doing it out of necessity. They can see that the world is facing these enormous challenges and that government can't do it. So they have to do it. And they are, I think, relentless in pursuing this. They don't understand the full consequence of what they're doing, though. I think it means that we're going to move towards a democratic form of enterprise where all of the, in, the stakeholders, the players in any organization, the, uh, the capitalist people put up the money, the workers, the laborers, the customers who buy the product, the governments that provide the interest, all of them become legitimate purposes of a modern corporation. And the uh, executives are there to serve all of those needs uh, by making, creating partnerships with them so that they can solve strategic problems more effectively and create value. And so everybody benefits. It's not a question of, of either profits or social welfare, it's both. And that's where I think this is going. It's gonna be remarkable. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Fortune Magazine published an article of mine uh, titled uh, the, the uh, the, Democ the, the democratic enterprise will uh, transform society or something like that. And it's a revolutionary piece. They would not have published this two or three years ago because it, it's a full-throated call to transform capitalism into a democratic system. And the fact that they published it tells me that it's here. They would not have done this earlier. Uh, and I also noticed that uh, corporations have uh, taken on the, they're taking on the climate problem. Uh, I understand that uh, like 90% of the, the anticipated impacts are being uh, planned for by corporations. They're, 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 they've been forced to. They're planning for the impact of climate change on their, their operations and they're taking steps to alleviate it. So I think, you're, I think we're going to surprise to see that big business could lead us out of this. They could become the good guys. And, and, and I'd, I'd love to... Um... I, th I think it's it's definitely on on the on the horizon, and I'd love to think that's the case. I, I wonder whether um, the challenge you talked about global consciousness that obviously we're not this is not just a European or Western uh, challenge, but yeah. whether whether this is whether this is actually a truly global picture, or whether we are going to move from one empire to another. We're going to move from one level of capitalism to another level of capitalism. That's that's obviously a fear as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I think those are the big issues. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. What can I say about that? There was something on my mind. It'll come to me. Oh. I, I think in, in my mind, I, I, I was, was certainly thinking that obviously the technology um, – revolution and the the movement in terms of economics and um, and politics in the west is definitely having this it's not either or we can have um, rich people who do good things and we can we can 
look about the think about the the benefit of, of all as a of all humankind as opposed to just a select few and i think that's that's been that's certainly i can certainly see that i've done a, a little bit of work uh, recently with some some organizations thinking about this level of like sustainability and about the community work and the uh, the csr or esg work and i think that's a whole it's definitely there. My question, my that's not even a question. My thought really is, I think we in the West are certainly becoming more aware of that. Is that is that part of a global consciousness? Though is the yeah. is, is the global element is what I'm, is where I'm really asking. That's right. Yeah. If if business does this, then they become a model of cooperation. You know, and business is the most powerful institution in the world. It's more powerful than government. So that would change the way societies work. It, uh, business sets the cultural tone for a society. And so if they become a cooperative institution and cooperates with their employees and their customers and their governments uh, to serve the greater good, then that sets a model for global consciousness. And so I, I think uh, it, it all makes good sense to me. It's going to be hard to do. It's no question about that. But I, I don't think there's any choice if we want to survive as a civilization because the present, the, this this present uh, nonsense is just not going to get there. You know, Putin's war of aggression on Ukraine is is a terrible example, just terrible. It takes us back fifty years, and I'm I'm been, but I'm more impressed with the world's response to this. The uh, the world support of Ukraine is a good example of global consciousness. And it was made possible by social media. So social media doesn't have to be a bad actor in, in this. Social media has, has great power. It's, it's, it's the, the reigning technology, I think, because it shapes the way we think. And it can be a force for good. And in the case of Ukraine, I think it really helped. It gave nations around the world well, most nations, not not Chinese, but uh, really nations all over the world. Uh, Iran supported them, uh, uh, Azerbaijan, the Philippines. It's amazing the support that people have for Ukraine. And that's why the, the arms are flowing into that country. And that's why the, the, uh, uh, the conditions that have been imposed by the West are still holding because of the support, the, the consciousness, the global consciousness. That's a good example of what we're looking for. Yeah, definitely. And we, I suppose we see, yeah, we see, we've we've seen that a few times recently with COVID as well, and the the race to to produce a vaccine and the the way the way the global community was helping each other out there. And I think we've seen, even though it's been a pretty shit few years, I think we've seen kind of the seeds of 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 what you're talking about and that the, that global community coming together. Yeah, I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking about right now these days, this is going to be our next uh, little study on TechCast, <clears throat> is the point at which this crisis breaks, so to speak, because every crisis is, is like a fever in the body. It breaks. At some point, the, the, you know, the, the crisis gets so severe that uh, it, it finally forces people to take action. And then the mood shifts, and then they can see the the, the optimistic outcome. So we're, we're going to study that next. Uh, if you get my newsletter, you can look for it. If you don't get the newsletter, I, I suggest you get it. 
because it's this is going to be a really good study. We're going to forecast when this crisis breaks. And I think we're going to get uh, a date uh, somewhere around, I think 2024, 25. That's my guess, because that's going to be the next presidential election in the States. And that's going to be a moment of truth for this, uh, the, the, the big lie that the election was stolen. And I think the, the country will repudiate Trump uh, pretty firmly. And that'll put an end to this, this autocracy stuff. That, that's, that's my best guess. But do you think he's going to run again, Bill? It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Next two years. Right. Yeah, it is, it's, uh, yeah, it is interesting. And I think uh, when you were talking there about that kind of the way companies um, work in and, and, and their priority and their values, it, it really made me think actually the, the technology, the nuts and bolts technology and where it's heading is actually that's starting to converge with that, with those values as well. Because I don't, we, we explore Web3 and blockchain technology quite a bit on, on this podcast. And the, the way that that is decentralizing a lot, of, yes. a lot of where the power is, especially within financial institutions, um, institutions that are gatekeepers on, on different types of ownership, but also to, to, to kind of link more closely with what you were saying about um, companies, that, that the idea of a DAO, that decentralized organization where it's very much technology making um the demo the democratic automated decision making system that a company would go through and we're starting to see some small companies actually um implementing blockchain based uh DAOs as a way to co- to control their company so that everyone who has um ownership or has that equal say and, and can push the company in a certain direction yeah, that's that's been given a name. Uh, uh, I forgot what it is. It's yeah, there's a name for that. Yeah, that's right. There's organizations yeah. going on. It is that that whole area of decentralization really does interest me. And I was um, I shared it with Ben and Steve the other day. Even even healthcare is now starting to look at how it how it decentralizes and and how it puts the healthcare in in the person's home rather than having to bring them to a hospital that it seems like every industry is being affected by that that movement away from from the the big authoritative organizations and i think it's we're i think you, i think you're onto something I, I know you don't need me to tell you that but there's a, there is definitely a convergence here between that that kind of global trend and technology and and shift in values yeah i think you're right dan yeah uh, let me, do you want to talk about education a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were just, we were just thinking. I was just certainly just thinking that. Like we could talk on this for, for ages, but yeah. Well, how, what, how, how does this apply to education? What do you think? Right. Well, my, you know, the thing that that uh, is on my mind is how uh, antiquated so many of our practices are in universities, like publication. I mean. You know, I've been an academic 50 years. I've got about 100 or more peer-reviewed articles published, but I, I don't place much much uh, credence in that stuff. I, I think most of it is irrelevant. It doesn't speak to the needs of society. It just It's just academics speaking to each other, and so most of it is just terrible stuff. You can barely read it. It's so dense. Um, 
but they 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 do it to uh, maintain the system. That's how they promote academics by their publications in these journals. And so the system is run by the, the journals, really. <laughs> it's so crazy. And, and they've got to get these, these publications out. They don't mean much. And it just it speaks to how irrelevant a lot of higher education is. And it also speaks to the fact that it's really a, a centralized system. I think university is the last bastion of socialism. You know, they, 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 there's very little relationship between a teaching unit's performance and its income. There's very little relationship. Uh, I don't know, income is based on God knows what. You know, like law schools always get a lot of money. Medical schools get a lot of money. You know, and, and business schools are cash cows. They take money from business schools. So it, and so what happens is the people who are deprived get angry. And so, you know, the, the business people, business school professors, the liberal arts professors, and so they're pissed off because they're deprived of resources. So they're not going to do very much. And then the people who are getting more than they need, why should they knock themselves out? They're already getting it. So it, it's really a crazy system, I think. Um, uh, I, I don't know how it's going to change. It's very resistant to change because the four-year uh, degree experience is, is sacred. People want that four years in college, in place, you know. So that'll always be there, I think. Uh, I don't know how it's going to change. It, it's... It's going to take something dramatic to change it because they have to get out of this. And, and, you know, academics in professional schools really don't know what they're talking about. Business professors, most of, many of them have never held a job, much less run a company. I ran uh, my company, TechCast, so I know something about how tough it is to really start and run a business. It's a struggle. And most of these professors in business schools have no idea. And, you know, they're talking about theoretical stuff. They try to make it relevant, you know, case studies and things. But it, it's, it says, tells me we should have executives speaking in business schools. We should have professors working with corporations and having students, their students out there doing jobs in corporations, there should be a close relationship between the the, the university and the the institution, and the same for education, you know, uh, and and public public affairs, everything. So the university should be uh, integrated into society so that it becomes relevant. I don't think it is, and all of the knowledge that could be made available, the stuff that professors lecture about, that could be made available by the technology. That's what the technology is for, to make that, that knowledge available conveniently. You know, a sophisticated automatic tutor that knows uh, what where you are and what you need and, and gives you just the right information when you need it. I mean, that should, that should be a, a natural thing. And then the academics would be there to uh, convene the classes and, and be available to students, see what's on their minds, what are they puzzled about, what are their goals, how do they uh, deal with 
with their own emotions. I mean, uh, young people struggle today. Uh, suicide rates in our country are just astronomical. It's Suicide is, the, I think, the second highest form of death among young people. It's amazing. Young people struggle to make sense out of their lives. They get very little help. So I think there's a lot has to be done in education, but I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't see much change. The online programs, I think, are helping, but they're peripheral. They're, they're for people who work full time and want to get a degree part time. The full time uh, academic uh, degree program is always going to be here, I think. But it's more yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because if you if you one pick the four year degree or the f- traditional three year degree in, in, in four years in college and three years in university or whatever, has it ever really been about education? When you really look at it, actually, in terms of how it's set up, and I know that, 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 that what you shared in terms of your time at Berkeley and everything else, that was. But as a whole, I think they go to. To, to meet new friends, to get a new different experience, yeah. to live it, to do all of those kind of things. And we talked to, to somebody probably about a, a year ago, or, or maybe less or maybe more, but looking at the shape of universities, what does that look like? And if they make more money from accommodation and they make more money from international students and they make more money from all these different avenues why, why, and research, why would they ever focus on the key fundamental of what it should be part of education? Why would they change it? Because actually, that's not their core business anyway. And mm-hmm. it's interesting what you talked about, the um, the online stuff. But I think the shift of COVID, the micro-credentials, the opportunity of access to, to courses in such a short bite of people thought that they had to to do it in a certain way to get that degree or anything else, where actually the world has, has started to shift a little bit more. So you'll see lots of universities delivering short courses at don't offer um, a particular formal certification or anything else about knowledge. And and I think that will be the shift because if they get that right and then universities as businesses see an opportunity making money out of that, which isn't right, um, they might then focus and have to shift and, and think about the rest of the education system. I don't know whether that, like I say, that core pillar, because has it getting a degree and going to college or university ever really been about education? For me, if I'm honest, yeah. Probably wasn't the first thing in my mind of why I went to university. Probably should have been, but yeah. probably wasn't. I don't know. You have Freshers Week and everything else, and it's it's a it's a very different thing, is it? And and trying to shift that culturally. Um, but yeah, I, I, you said you didn't know how to change it. But you did quite a good good job walking through it in terms of automation, virtual tutors, AI, all of those kind of things. But it, it's a big cultural change. But if thinking about the business world if they're wanting a shift in terms of the workforce, if they're creating the agenda and the push rather than government and they're saying this is what we want and what we need, if they drive that enough, the way that those degrees, the whole focus of it has to change because actually the the workers saying, well, we don't need you as universities have become obsolete potentially apart from just a three-year experience of meeting new friends and and going out and getting drunk. Um, So I think... I think business again, like you said, around the around the world, uh, everything else can change it, but it it's all led by these big businesses, big, big businesses doing the right thing. Then, no, I, I think you're right about uh, 
the purpose of the four-year degree is is not really the knowledge. It's I think you're right, Steve. Uh, it's uh, interesting that about 15% of people end up working in a field that they study in college, about 15%. It's very small. Most people end up doing something else. Yeah, I did PE, so we're definitely not in the same field. I did physical education. (laughs) What did you do, Dan? (laughs) But yeah, that's a prime example where we went to university, what qualification. It was never about that. I think it was the learning and the process that we went through, potentially in bits, but yeah, it wasn't about that really for me. Uh, And I think for so many young people, the reason why they do that isn't about the degree and how many people actually start university finish it and and also go on to a, a qualification that's even relevant going forward um, but yeah. 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 yeah yeah well let me let me stop this i'm sorry that's all right um we're, we're probably just bringing it to an end now bill um and i think to be honest i think a lot of what we've been talking about it, it is is easily applicable to to education we know we, we we started off talking about kind of the the technology being able to deal with the, the that objective consciousness and the automation and the and the delivery of knowledge, focusing on those um, those soft skills, those that that subjective consciousness that you talked about, and I think that is probably the the direction that that education needs to go in, and, we, and, and we're seeing some some really cutting edge. We we have an award ceremony every year, Bill, where we 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 award. Um, innovators in education or, or schools or colleges out around the world that are pushing the boundaries into what education could be and a lot of them are that 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 then they're focusing on the the collaboration skills the ability to work with other people to communicate to be able to problem solve yes. um, and it it is and it and that, and, and and largely because not just because they think oh well actually this is what we want to do it's because it's it's what the world needs it's yeah. the world needs those skills in order to to make that leap and and it's what businesses are, are are crying out for as well and i think we we know the answers it's just and i speak primarily from an english point of view here the education system so ingrained is so it's so institutional and it's so politically charged that it's it's a it's a very difficult tanker to turn um and and I, I suppose part of our job is here is, is to keep pointing at that, keep get keep getting wise people like yourself on to go look at this is the direction, this is the way the world's going in, and and we can't forget about it. It's like it's that lone profit, isn't it, that everybody thinks is crazy, and 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 we're well aware that within the educational world, especially within the state educational world, we're we're a very 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 fringe voice here, very fringe voice. Um, but we've got to keep shouting about it because this is what this is what the world needs, and it's and it's what like what Steve was saying. That's what businesses are saying, saying that they they need in order to to make these new leaps to 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 move to that twenty thirty target and uh, or that prediction that that Techcast has made. Yeah, Bill, Bill, it's been fascinating. It's been great just to sit and 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 listen to some of your your wisdom and and, and your experience and your insights and. And the work that Techcasters do, and I think that 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 kind of function to of forecasting is something that we 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 haven't really explored all that much. So to hear you talk about it and to and to make those informed predictions is definitely really interesting 
for me. So fascinating. Uh, we're, we're so privileged to live at a time like this, to see the world change so dramatically. It's it's really very privileged, I think, and I'm I'm fascinated with where it's going. Hundred percent. Thank Phil, you so get- for your attention. You know, um, if you, you don't mind mentioning, uh, your your viewers could go to beyondknowledge.org and find something on the book. Beyondknowledge.org. If you don't mind me mentioning that. No, absolutely. Yeah, completely. And, and, uh, I've, I've signed up to your newsletter, Bill, and I'll um, I'll certainly be. Uh, continuing this conversation thanks for thanks for all you've all you shared with us today i hope uh, we can stay in touch steve ben dan yeah percent look definitely get back thanks. to the january 6th committee <laughs> take, take care Bye-bye. Bye-bye.